This morning, we're going to be talking about the cup of progress, the sense that, that, that the old is gone, the new has come. And to be able to see that, to be able to recognize that God is indeed at work in your life. And to be able to have a growing sense of, of confidence that you're making progress in the Christian life. How do we make progress? How do we refill that cup? You know, the, the world is, is constantly inviting us to try to be filled in so many different ways that, that leave us, can leave us empty. Always with something. Drive me. Buy me. Eat me. Take me home. So many different ways that we're bombarded with messages that promise things they cannot fulfill, and that is to fulfill. How do we find a greater sense of fulfillment in the progress that we're making in the Christian life? You know, I had a, a music teacher when I was very young who would, would, you could drive crazy by just going to the piano if you could play something, uh, just a half of a measure of something, if you knew how to do that. You could just play, you know, oh, say, can you see, and sit down. It would just, you could see this, this anxiety come over her face. She just had to complete that phrase and would go and sit down and, and finish it out. There's, 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 there are times when you and I sort of feel like we're left hanging. You know, we, 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 we have the promise of new life. The old is gone, the new has come. And yet, I think if each one of us were to answer honestly... Even in this past week, the thought occurs to you. Doesn't it occur to you? Am I still dealing with that? Am I still doing that? Does this same thought keep recurring? I mean, when am I going to be finished dealing with that? How do we make progress? How do we find the power to make progress? How do we find a strong sense of fulfillment in the progress that God is making in your walk of faith? Well, let's take a look at Paul's letter to the Philippian church, starting with verse uh, 3 of chapter 1. Paul is writing from prison. There is a surprising answer to what brings progress and fulfillment in your life. And the answer, the surprising answer to progress is love. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for all of you and all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. 
God, bless us now through your word that it may trigger within us, spark within us, a renewed sense of love that abounds in knowledge and depth of insight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, there's a, uh, there's a startling statistic that uh, in 50 years, 80% of the people surveyed, 50 years ago, 80% of the people surveyed believed that it was wrong to express human sexuality outside of marriage. 80% of the people 50 years ago believed that it was wrong to express human sexuality outside of marriage. That's the least awkward way that I could say that, the beginning of a sermon. And 50 years later, it's flipped. Now it's 20%. In 50 years. A lot of times what, what, what you hear in that is, uh, don't do something, right? And so there's, there's this sense that, that God is against our joy, against our fulfillment. But imagine this. Imagine you took a brand new iPhone X, all right? And you decided that you needed to put up a fence and you were using those, those big galvanized nails and you decided you were going to use that iPhone to pound in those nails. How do you think that would work out for you? You see, there is there's a certain uh, design to us. There's a certain design. And when our desires are not in tune with the symphony that God has already written for, for human life, when our desires are not in tune with that symphony, we will feel the discord within our own hearts and minds and souls and strength. It will deplete us to try to function and find joy and fulfillment outside of his design. And so this morning, let's consider how it is, how is it, that loving God and loving others, the summary of the law. So I was talking about the law, and I talked about one law, don't, you know, sex outside of marriage. Don't, don't do that. That's one law. But Jesus summarizes the law this way. He summarizes it the way Paul does to the Philippians. The law is summarized in this way. Love God and love others. How does love have the power to help you progress in your life? How does love have the power to bring progress in your faith? How does love, therefore, in bringing progress in your faith life, your walk of faith, how does that bring you fulfillment? Well, there, there are a couple different ways that love has the power to bring progress and to fulfill you in the way that you're designed to be fulfilled. The first is this. When we care about someone, we begin to care about the things that they care about. When we truly care about someone, we truly begin to take on their desires and their hopes and their dreams. And so loving God 
Not just knowing more about him, like we were talking about last week. Knowing more about him and knowing him personally are two different things. Knowing about God and knowing him. When we know him, we begin to love him more. And when we love him more, we begin to care about the things that he cares about. We truly begin to take on the desires that he has. As Psalm 37, 4 says, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Right? Sometimes that means he'll give you the desires themselves. He'll take an old desire that's not good for you and replace it with a new desire that's good for you. See, when we care about someone, we take on the things they care about. It's a little like, you know, when, when I was a groom, all right, before I got married. Every groom is this way, I hope. Every groom is, it, it, it cares nothing about china patterns, okay? Is there a groom that cares about a china pattern? I don't, I don't think so. But then you go shopping to register. You do that registration thing, right? And, and she has uh, this dream about what her, her house is going to look like and what, you know, th- the way things are going to be set up. And all of a sudden, the groom begins to care about china patterns, right? Like, okay, is that what you want? And it sounds a little bit like this, whatever you think. <laughs> the smart, the wise groom. He cares, he loves his beloved. And the things that she cares about, even if he never had given it a thought, he begins to care about. Bob Pierce, who started World Vision, an outstanding relief and development organization that reaches around the world, said this, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart. Let me care about the things you care about. Break my heart with the things that break your heart. And so when you see Paul saying to the Philippian church, may your love abound more and more in a particular way, in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best. What's happening there is there is a unique personalized knowledge. It's not just, I know something more, I make a connection. It's personal knowledge. It's knowledge that's rooted in the love of the Father. It's knowledge that is rooted in the desires of the Father. It's knowing what is best, but it's knowing who is the author and creator of what is best. It's caring about him and thereby caring more about the things he cares about. When we're out of tune with the Father, we're out of tune with his desires. And there are certain seasons of life where we do get out of tune. I mean, just, just in the course of the way that we grow, we sometimes grow distant and cold. It's as if we think of God as just some, some distant authority figure. Let me read to you... Uh, a column from many years ago that, that sums up the way we view mom, sometimes just as a cold authority figure. At four years old, here's what we say. Mom can do anything. Mom can do anything, right? At six years old, mom, my mom is smarter than your mom. At eight years old, my mom doesn't know exactly everything. At 10 years old, in the olden days when my mom grew up, things were sure different. 
at 17 years old. Don't pay any attention to mom. She's too old-fashioned. At 22 years old, mom knows a little bit about it, I suppose, because she's been around so long. At 30 years old, maybe we should ask mom what she thinks. She's had a little bit of experience. (laughs) That's called faint praise, people. At 40 years old, I'm not doing a single thing until I talk to my mom. At 55 years old, I'd give anything if mom were here now so I could talk this over with her. You see the progression. Even in human relationships, it's the same progression we have in ourselves. And Paul is praying for the church that he planted in Philippi. He's praying that they would move through those seasons, that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that it wouldn't be knowledge that puffs up, right? Knowledge puffs up, but love what? Knowledge puffs up, but love what? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, right? And so the knowledge that comes as a result of knowing God personally, on a personal level, not just having insight, but recognizing the one from whom that insight comes, caring about what he cares about, that kind of knowledge builds up. And so when we care about someone, we begin to care about the things that they care about. Second is this. Caring about others, when we do, when we care about others, we begin to desire the very best for them. When we really develop ourselves, our own character, when our compassion comes, it doesn't mean that we're always nice. It doesn't mean that we always say the things that the other person wants to hear. It means that we care for them in such a way that we desire for them the very best. That's what happens when we care about others. You know, let me give you a definition of love. This is a great definition of love. I've carried it with me for almost 30 years now. Love is the accurate assessment and the adequate supply of another person's need. Let me say that again. Love is the accurate assessment and the adequate supply of another person's need. It's a great definition because it removes us. It removes us. And we begin to say, what does this person need in this moment? What does this person actually need? Not just what I want for them or what would I want if I were in that position. What does this person need? It's the accurate assessment and the adequate supply of another person's need. Now, you all know that some, someday somebody's going to invite me water skiing, and they're going to find out how little I can, I, I can do. Now, I, I've told you I know how to water ski, and when I was growing up, we used to have so much fun water skiing. And I remember when I just stopped noticing that I was no longer water skiing, and it didn't bother me. Now, this is a trivial example, all right? But where I was getting my cup filled was watching other people learn how to do something that I loved. It was in, in watching somebody climb back in the boat just exhausted, and, and, but, but so thrilled that they finally got up. And that just, that just gave me such a rush. I remember when I, I just slowly stopped skiing myself. I loved to ski. I loved it. I mean, I, we, we used to challenge, we used to throw random objects out on the dock and say, bet you can't ski on that. And, and, and we'd, we'd just we'd do crazy things to try to see if we could do 
But I remember that slowly I stopped skiing. And I was driving the boat or I was coaching along. And I remember that people would ask me, when are you going? And I remember thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't care. Because where I was getting my cup filled was in seeing somebody else flourish in something that I loved to do. And it's okay to have some, some bit of yourself in there, as long as what it is, is it's going in the direction of somebody else. It's not an either-or thing. You see, someday you and I are going to leave this earth. We're, we're, we're going to die. You came Mother's Day to hear me say you're going to die. Um, and, and, and here's an image for you. The day that you die, right, the very next morning, a newspaper is going to hit the end of your driveway. Think about that for a minute. Life is going to go on here, right? You think about when, when someone else that you love, if you've ever experienced this, and we all will, we lose the people we love. Life tears from us so many joys. Where are you investing? Are you investing in, as Jesus terms it, the kingdom, the things that are eternal? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, he said, anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And so how are you investing? Are you investing in a way that fills your cup by seeing somebody else succeed? Are you investing in such a way that fills your cup by watching somebody else flourish? How is it that Paul is able to have such a buoyant spirit in a prison in Ephesus? By the way, Ephesus is modern-day Izmir, Turkey, where Andrew Brunson happens to be held captive. Tim Grayson told you earlier about Andrew Brunson. We're praying for him. We're, we're hoping for his release. The very same town. This is where most scholars believe that, that Paul was being held. How was it that he could, from prison, have such a buoyant spirit? Because he had already turned a corner in his life where his joy, his fulfillment, his sense of progress was in seeing other people flourish. Apart from that, apart from seeing other people flourish, what we're doing, what we're left with is something called moralism. We have to feel good about our progress in the Christian life. We have to feel good that, that we're getting better than we were yesterday or we get discouraged. And you know, moralism is like this. It's like one of those power strips plugged into itself. That's what, that's what moralism is like. When you're comparing yourself to somebody else, it's like taking a power strip and plugging it into itself. You're just saying, you know what? I'm just better than that guy. At least I'm better than this person. And we begin to judge the other person. And we begin to say that, 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 that through comparison, that, oh, we're not as bad as that person. We don't know their struggles. We don't know how hard it is for them even to just get up and put their feet on the floor. We have not walked in their moccasins to try to compare ourselves to others and buoy ourselves through that is to begin to tear at the very fabric of your life and your confidence and your faith. And so I want to challenge you this week. Last week, I challenged you to, to begin to have chair time again if you don't have it. 
to pick a time and a place. I inserted something in there. You can get it. Uh, you can get it uh, on on the internet. Uh, it's just called uh, called U Version. Last week's challenge was to to do a thirty day walk through the Bible, some kind of reading plan, and to set a time and place early in the morning, just fifteen minutes, maybe ten minutes. This week's challenge uh, came from a, another church that I heard about doing this. Um, they, they put uh, 20s and 50s on the bottom of the chairs that everybody was sitting in. No, we didn't do that this morning. <clears throat> well, in a sense, we did because those 50s and 20s came through the offering plate back to you. And so you have the 50s and 20s. They just happen to be in your wallets, all right? And so what I want you to do is I want you to challenge yourself to spend something on someone. Here's a fun way of doing it. Go to grassroots and pay for the person's coffee behind it. Now, this backfires sometimes. I did this one time, and it it turned out they were ordering lunch for their office. That was kind of tough. But, you know, that's the way it goes. But, but, But find a way to do something for somebody else as a way to examine, how is my cup being filled? Is it filled only by comparison? Is it filled under my own steam? Is it filled just simply by trying harder? Or is love abounding more and more in knowledge and depth of insight? Let's pray together. Holy God, I we thank you for the reality and the the presence, the moment-by-moment way that you walk alongside us to encourage us. And so, Lord, I pray for this church, and even as I do for myself, that any insight we gain, any knowledge that we gain, any any foothold on what we think is, uh, is something that we should know that maybe others don't know or any way, Lord, that we begin to order life in a way that's more in keeping with the symphony you're writing. Lord God, may, may that be driven by love, for love, and to love. That we would not be puffed up, but that we would be built up. In Jesus' name, amen.